Hey there, travelers. I'm Isabella. I'm Riley. I'm Angelica. And this is True Crime International. So, Isabella, where are you taking us today? Today, we're headed to Mexico to talk about the most prolific serial killers in the country's history, Las Bonquianchis. Oh, cool mm-hmm. name. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, this is what they're known as. And I don't know if it's a play on words. I tried to figure it out. I asked my boyfriend, who's a native Spanish speaker. And yeah, we have no idea. But that's kind of what they're What does known it mean? As. I don't know. That's the thing. It, like, it's it's not a oh, word that I, I just... could translate. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> if, if someone knows, please let us know. Because yeah, yeah there are any Spanish speakers. I have been looking at this case all week in Spanish, and I have not figured it out. So, the unsolvable riddle. Yeah. So, Las Bonquianchis, they were four sisters. The oldest was named Delfina. She was born in 1912. Then there was Maria de Jesus, who was born in 1924. Carmen, who was born in 1926, and Luisa, born in 1928. They were born in El Salto, which is in Jalisco, near Guadalajara, which is like central-ish Mexico. It's not like dead center, but it's also not on either coast. It's closer to the Pacific than it is to the Gulf, but still, I would, I would just, it's central-ish Mexico. So it's like West Central. Yeah, more or less. I have a question. So... Delfina, there's like a pretty big age gap between Delfina and the rest of the three. Were they still pretty close, though, despite that age gap? Um, I'm going to say yes. Here's the thing. Um, Their early life, I have some information, but a lot of it is really spotty. You will have questions, and that is okay because I also have questions. Okay. Yeah, most of the information is going to come from... Uh, the crimes that they committed and less from their upbringing. Um, but I do have some information on their upbringing and it's, uh, yeah, anyway. So the, their, surname, their surnames were Gonzalez Valenzuela, uh, which if you don't know, in Spanish-speaking culture, the vast, vast, vast majority of people, like 99% of people have two surnames. Just like in English-speaking culture, we have one surname. This has absolutely nothing to do with the case. But I found it very interesting when I moved to Spain um, because I was always always kind of curious about it and never knew why. Uh, when people get married in Spanish-speaking countries, the wife doesn't take the husband's name. They just She just keeps her surname. And then when they have a child, uh, they each parent gives the child their first surname. And the father's name always goes first. So it's always the father's name being passed on. But every okay. every person has two surnames. I like that. I bet, That's cool. I bet they they were surprised when you showed up with two surnames. <laughs> <laughs> no one no one questions the fact that I have two surnames. To them, it's totally normal. But what's weird to them is that I hyphenate mine. Yeah, because oh, it, yeah, for us, like for English speakers that have two surnames, most of the time we hyphenate them. And when people ask me why do you put that line between your two surnames, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I don't have an answer because that's a very good point. It doesn't make any sense. But that's just how my just name is fun. written. It's on my birth certificate, so that's how I have to write it. Oh, yeah, true. Tell them to ask your mom. Ask Emma. My name isn't actually 
in the right order because in English speaking countries, when you do the two surname things, it's supposed to be the mother's name first. But my mother's name is second because they thought Busby Priest sounded way better than Priest Busby, which is true. It does. I agree. They made the right call. <laughs> but in Spanish speaking culture, my name is actually the correct way around because it's the father's name that goes first and the mother's name that goes second. You're just so unique. I know it's not that I'm unique. Like here, the fact that I have two surnames and it's in that specific order makes complete sense. They're just like, why is that? Why is that line there? <sighs> They're like, that doesn't make any sense. But anyway, so that has nothing to do with the story. I just thought it was an interesting <laughs> little tidbit of information in case you wanted some culture. Anyway, yeah, so it is. <laughs> the father was a drunk and an abusive piece of shit, and the mother was a quote religious fanatic bordering on a cult-like obsession, and she did little to nothing to defend her daughters against her husband. So and she was a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she she was Catholic. She didn't belong to a cult, but she just, she was fanatical about her religion. But anyone who's, who doesn't defend their daughters and does nothing to protect them. Oh, yeah. She's a total piece of shit. Both parents are horrible, and... They're absolutely the reason the daughters turned out the way that they did. So <sighs> their father's name was... Sorry? I said nurture. nurture. <laughs> <laughs> so their father, whose name was Isidro, was a police officer for the Porfiri... Porfiriato. Porfiriato. Puedo decirlo. No es difícil. Joder. Vale. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> their father Isidro was a police officer for the Porfiriato government or the government under Porfirio Diaz and if you don't know much about Mexico's history that name might not mean much or anything to you so I'm going to let Angel explain why it's significant you're correct also, <laughs> I just want to say I just got that word play and I think it's very clever what Porfiriato yes Porfiriato government yeah yeah that's genuinely what it's called. It kind of like freaks the, me out. The because he was a he was a huge dictator. Not to not to steal what you're, everything you're about to say, Angelica. <laughs> but um, he was a, he was a major dictator, and he shaped Mexico for a few decades. So it, that is genuinely what it's called. It's the Por, Porfiriato government. Y'all, Diaz was president for a long fucking time, like a long time. He served a total of seven terms, which in total amounts to over 30 years. No, no president should ever be in charge for that long. Right? In office exactly. for that long. Ever. And, and even in his, like, gap years, because he wasn't, like, president for, like, forever during like, his life. Like, consecutively? Yes. Yes. That's the word i was looking for um, <laughs> he he still had a pretty heavy sway in what was going on so he was like pretty involved still um and he just was not great for mexico at all which is why there was a whole ass revolution to overthrow him yeah dictators he, never seem to be too great exactly and he also aligned with anyone that would benefit him in the long run which often led him to flip-flop around a lot, and it didn't really matter to him as long as he came out on top, which sounds really familiar to me. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> um, but pretty much the only other people who benefited from his power were wealthier individuals. 
Oh, yeah. The poor really, also, really, really suffered under Diaz. And uh, people who followed him, who worked with him, definitely had like that machismo attitude, which is really yes. important to note. Yeah. So to be honest, I'm not surprised that a man happily working for a dictator like Diaz beat his family. In fact, it would be more surprising to me if he were a kind-hearted and gentle individual. Yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> so the sisters hated their life at home, which I'm sure is no surprise. Uh, and when Carmen was a teenager, she escaped the house with a guy who was some years older than her. That's all it said. Uh, I couldn't years? get it. Some years. How how many? I have no idea. Just said some years. Um. <laughs> yeah. She escaped the house with a guy that was some years older than her and who, quote, offended her honor. Wait, do I quote things that I translated? Uh, If it's something like that, like if it's something important, I would say, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because this whole thing is a translation. <laughs> Isidro was pissed that his daughter escaped, so he tracked her down, beat her, and then took her to the local jail where he locked her up in a cell without any charges. He didn't tell her how long she'd be in there. He just left her. Wait. Okay, wait. By by offended her honor, do you mean like like sex? Deflowered, I assume. Okay. Okay. I kind of figured. But also I feel like in that time even to be like seen sneaking out with a man would kind of be not honorable <laughs> but but still for not a reason to lock up your child for that no long. yeah so never this is lock up your child this is, this is not even this is this is not even the crazy part that same day isidro got a call to go catch a fugitive with a couple of other agents and during the pursuit isidro accidentally i don't know if it was an accident or if it wasn't int- intentional shot and killed the fugitive which then made Isidro a fugitive because police officers were not allowed to kill fugitives. And so he then had to go on the run for murder. Oh, God. (laughs) So his ass was in hiding and Carmen was still in jail. Did, did like, other people know that she was in jail or did he just, like... Yes! I mean, because she was in the local jail. It wasn't like she was in some cell that he built himself. But no one would let her out. This is... No one would let her out. And I don't know exactly why. I can only think that because Isidro put her there, maybe they didn't feel it was their place to let her go unless, yeah. like, in case he came back. But she so, ended like, up... how long? how long did it take for them to realize that he was on the run and that he wasn't coming back? Well, it doesn't even matter because she ended up being in there for 14 months. And oh she was let God. out. Yeah. So a long time. Yeah. But she was let out by a local grocery store owner who came along. And I read in one place that they had like a little romantic thing going on. And I read in another place that it was mostly just because he brought her food. Um, but anyway, he said that he would let her out if she married him. So she didn't have a whole lot of choice. So she agreed and she was released from the cell and married the guy. They had a son together, but then they divorced sometime later. Okay, so wait, he just, wait. He just let her out? Yeah, how could he let her out? Like, but he's no one just else a grocery can. store owner. I'm confused. 
Did she like pay her bail? There was no bail though. She was just in there. She was arrested by her own. She was arrested by her own father without any charges. There is no bail. There is no justice system here at all. She was just left in there, and And so he just like waltzed in and said, "Let me see them keys." I let her out. I so I don't know all the details. That's that's why that's why I said you're going to have many questions, and I also do too. But I was thinking about this, and my best guess. So if they didn't let her out because they were afraid of the father coming back. Um, maybe this really seemed like the only safe way for her to be let out is if she were to be married, because essentially she would be owned by another man at that point in their eyes. True. I mean, disgusting, but true for the time. Yeah. So jumping ahead a bit, because I have no other information on any of the sisters before this point, we're going to go to 1935. All of the sisters were living together in El Salto and they were really, really, really poor. They lived like they were they were destitute they had nothing even though they were all working in a textile factory they were barely scraping by and in 1938 Carmen met a new man named Jesus Vargas whose street name was El Gato which I don't know why <laughs> makes me laugh it means the cat wait guys I have to tell you a quick story um when I was in middle school I really wanted a cat so I had my bubba teach me how to say can I have a cat in Spanish in the hopes that my mom would get me a cat? And coincidentally, she was already getting me a cat. So it really it so it didn't worked. help me at all. But like, <laughs> that is really funny that he went by the cat. Maybe because it sounds he was like sneaky. Like he was like, he was like sneaky and he could... Like slink sly. around, yeah. Like you couldn't hear him coming. I don't know. I don't know why I'm helping this man. He tiptoed. <laughs> I just, I just picture those like 1930s, um, like cartoon criminals. You know how they like walk on their tiptoes? <laughs> yes. Yes. And like all, all hunched over. Is, all I can think of is Aristocats when they like they're like walking. <laughs> Angel had an Aristocat stuffed animal right next to her as I said that. <laughs> Angelica comes to work prepared. Yeah, yeah, you betcha. Apparently. So Vargas was a small-time criminal, and Carmen was so taken with him that they moved in together that very same year. El Gato and Carmen opened up a small cantina together where people could drink, and have sex. It wasn't quite a brothel, but this sort of like th- this cantina is sort of what opened the doors for the sisters in this whole world. But the cantina didn't last very long. El Gato completely mismanaged the finances and just ran the place right into the ground. And Carmen was like, fuck you, fuck this. And she left and returned to her sisters. Another man bites the dust. Wait, I have a question. Agatha was her second husband? I don't know if they got married, but they were together. Gotcha. There are a lot of gaps in this story. Like I said before, all of the actual crimes that they committed, it's really spotty, and I did my best to figure out stuff. But yeah, there's just, for how famous this case is in Mexico, there's just a lot of stuff that we don't know about it. Yeah. 
So a short time later, their parents died and they received a small inheritance. Delfina, who was the oldest, used her share to open up her first brothel. Prostitution was illegal in Jalisco, but enforcement wasn't exactly strong. Basically, as long as you were quiet about it and paid off the right people, the authorities would just let it slide. Yeah. Delfina found some success with that first brothel, and it was open for a number of years until one night a big fight broke out, and after that, authorities couldn't really look the other way, and the brothel was closed. But at that point, the sisters had had a taste of what a successful brothel would be like for them, and they had no interest in moving into another industry. So it made them, like, quite a bit of money, you would say? Yeah, like, it was it was a success. And, I mean, I don't know how much money they were making from it. They weren't living in the lap of luxury. But because they were so destitute before, I feel like even just being able to live comfortably felt luxurious to them. Yeah, definitely. So they opened a new brothel, uh, which they called Guadalajara de Noche in Lagos de Moreno. And prostitution was still very much illegal there. But they were protected this time around because the mayor of the town gave the permits for the brothel himself. Officially, it operated as a bar. But in exchange for him letting it slide, they would send girls to him for sexual favors. Oh, Oh darn. Yeah. So this was definitely a family business. The sisters divided up the work, laundry, cleaning, cooking, managing the employees. Um, (laughs) And Delfina's son worked as security for the establishment. I'm not sure what... Sorry. How old was he at this time? No idea. Because this is... The 30s. 40s. No, this is the 40s. Late 30s, early 40s. This is sometime in the 40s. Like like I said, there are a lot of gaps. I don't know all the dates. Yeah. Things don't get specific until things in the story get really bad, basically. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. I'm not sure what the prostitution job market looked like in 1940s, 1950s Jalisco. Maybe the recent upswing in the economy post-war hurt the prostitution market because Delfina and her sisters were not holding job interviews. They were trafficking. Oh, my God. Yeah, and it's really hard to put sex trafficking in Mexico to any kind of scale. Because, and I think that's, like, the same in a lot of places. Yeah. Um, And the people who are involved vary in gender, social, and economic class. So, in this case, we obviously can see that because it's women who are in charge. So that would definitely make it harder to, like, you know, get a read on it, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was also made harder by corruption. I mean, in this case, we see a mayor is involved. So. Yeah, definitely. And just there were a lot of people with political ties involved, as well as those who were, like, members of the police department. And I think because of this, it's definitely hard to say what this looked like when this case was taking place because there were hardly any records taken and that's saying something because there's underreporting and a lack of records these days too definitely so we like barely have numbers for y'all because there just aren't any which is also like it sucks because then never mind i don't know what i was gonna say it escaped it It escaped my head it just sucks in it general. Just sucks. Yeah. 
Now, I'm going to get into the details of the trafficking in just a bit because the story gets so fucking crazy. So even though the sisters had to deal with the mayor, they still had to pay off the other local authorities as well, and that was Delfina's son's job. As security, it was his job to keep the brothel safe in all matters. But one day, for whatever reason, don't ask me why, I have no idea, his payment didn't work, and so a group of policemen came to shut the place down. Delfina's son responded by grabbing a gun and threatening the officers. Smart. The police weren't having it, though, and they shot and killed Delfina's son right in front of her. Oh my... Delfina was pissed. And her grief... Yeah, I would be too. Yeah. And in her grief, she hired what was basically a small militia to go find the officers that killed her son and murder them. And that led to a series of police murders in Jalisco and put a target on Delfina's back. So her and her sisters had to leave Jalisco and they moved to Guanajuato. I just don't know how they got away with leaving. Yeah, they were just like, fuck this shit, I'm out. Even though they caused it. Literally. Yeah, they, <laughs> it all stemmed back to them. And then they got oh, yeah. mad that they got caught. Yeah. It's, it's all their fault, but they left. So in Guanajuato, they opened up a new brothel, which they called uh, La, La Barca de Oro, which means the gold boat. And they found a lot of success with their new business. Prostitution. I like the name. Gold Boat. Yeah. But I don't like Interesting. anything else about it. Yeah. Prostitution was completely legal in Guanajuato. So with the money that they saved from not having to pay off authorities, they were able to open up another brothel, which they named Guada- Guadaha- Guada- <laughs> <laughs> Guadalajara de la Noche. So basically, their other, it's like, it's Guadalajara de la Noche 2.0. Oh, okay. Business was booming for the sisters for several reasons, not least of which was Mexico's severely improved economy. Yeah, so this improved economy came post-World War II, for the most part. And a lot of people don't really know this because, like, I didn't know this. But Mexico played a pretty significant part in helping the U.S. during World War II. And, like, does anyone else feel like a lot is left out of history textbooks? Because I feel like we should know this. Yes. But after Mexico played its role in allying with the U.S., the country saw a lot of change happen. And their population was booming. Women became to receive more rights. And they also began to see that economic growth we were talking about. And this didn't happen, like, overnight. Uh, but starting in the 1940s, the government proceeded with a strategy called the Mexican Miracle. Which I like that name. <laughs> <laughs> but it kick-started a lot of those changes, um, which led to an economic boom. Um, and not everything went according to plan. And I feel like that's why maybe trafficking and prostitution was such a big thing. Because I saw that a lot of families that, like, began to get involved in prostitution and trafficking started because they were personally not doing well economically. So it obviously didn't improve for everyone, but it was improving for some. 
So similar, I mean, similar to the sisters as well. I mean, they started their businesses because they needed money. They didn't, yeah, they didn't. They needed money. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple months ago, um, I write I write scripts for some YouTube videos, and I did. I wrote a script about the history of Mexico, and I I went to other history of Mexico videos on YouTube, not to watch them because I didn't want to accidentally copy anybody, but I just wanted to read the comments. And see like what people, what Mexicans were saying was left out, uh, what had too much time and, you know, just sort of general opinions. So that way I could write my script better. And I saw this comment that was so like, it's sad, but oh my God, it made me laugh. He was like, yeah, Mexican here. So basically our entire history from the time Cortez arrived uh, is just a series of, and then things got worse. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> So things were going well for the sisters, but then in 1962, the authorities started shutting down brothels in the area. The sisters weren't interested in leaving the business, however, and so they bought a ranch nearby. Nearby. <laughs> <laughs> nearby. I have a hard time if I have to like use English and Spanish in like the same sort of oh, time. Yeah. I have a really hard time going between the two, like switching back and forth. Like I just did the v thing because. I was thinking the opposite because in Spain Spanish, the V makes more of a B sound and fucking, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. However, My boyfriend just switches between the two like it's absolutely nothing and I'm never not impressed by it. Show off. I know. Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> the sisters weren't interested in leaving the business, however, and so they bought a ranch nearby, converted it into a brothel. And named it Loma de Angeles, which means uh, Hill of Angels. If I were interested in going to a place and the name of it was Hill of Angels, but it was a brothel, I think I'd probably avoid that place. I mean, officially it was a bar, but it's like, if you know, you know. <laughs> I still probably wouldn't go to a bar called Hill of Angels. <laughs> Uh, me neither. That sounds like something that would be on, like, be in the shitty part of LA. <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, on Hollywood Boulevard, there's definitely this, like, row of dive bars. I feel like it would be there. Oh, yeah. So, this is where the story gets really, really bad. And if you are eating, I would recommend that you stop. So, to find new employees... They would put ads in the paper, advertising domestic work, and trick young women to come to the brothel. 
only for them to be put in captivity and forced to sell their bodies for the sisters' profit. Damn it. Jeez. Once they were in, there was no getting out. The women were forced to buy their own clothes and food through the sisters at hyperinflated and arbitrary prices. When the girls couldn't afford it, the sisters added it to the women's debt, which they would have to work to pay off. They created a system, basically, in which it was possible for women to escape. Wow, this is so fucked up. But if you thought that they were only capturing women through false advertising, you're dead wrong. You see, one of the ways that they were able to keep the authorities off their back in the new brothel was by selling the bodies of children. They would go into neighboring towns and kidnap girls as young as 12 and 13 and bring them back to the brothel where they were forced to have sex with men. Sometimes kidnapping wasn't even necessary, though. Sometimes the sisters were able to buy the girls from their parents. I'm I'm upset. Like they'd go to these towns and the parents would just sell their children? Mm -hmm. Due to like like money reasons or they didn't want daughters? I have to assume. I have to assume it's for the money. Shit people. My word. The girls were raped daily and bathed in ice cold water. They remained useful to the sisters until they reached the age of 25, at which point they were deemed to be too old and useless to sell. But instead of freeing them, they were starved, beaten, and tortured daily until they were too weak to move, and then they were either buried alive or thrown from the roof. Where did they find the time to run this business while also beating and torturing multiple people a day? They had actual employees as well. Like they weren't doing all the beating and killing themselves. They had they had men that they employed to to also do it. Oh my word. This treatment wasn't only saved for the girls that were too old though. Anyone who stepped out of line, broke the rules or tried to run away would be subjected to the same treatment regardless of age. In the eye of the sisters, no one was irreplaceable. And they had no time for girls that caused trouble. Some victims weren't killed, though. There are at least six that we know of that were allowed to keep their lives in exchange for continuing to live at the brothel and keeping the new victims in line. Wait, six out of six out of how many? I don't know. Also, that's so awful because, like, obviously, these women want to survive, but they have to do it by making the lives of other women awful. So they also had a system of protocol for if a girl got pregnant. If the girl didn't earn very much money, she would be killed. Simple. If she was profitable enough, she would be forced to have an abortion. And these abortions were not done in a medical setting. They were done at the brothel with no medicine. Yeah. Which just hurts me to my core yeah because unlawful abortions are done like it's horrifying occasionally babies would be born in the brothel and they would usually be killed at birth but one baby was sold off to a man for quote experiments and they have record of this oh i'm speechless Um bro Unlike the previous brothels that the sisters owned, it was the victims that kept the place going by doing all the cooking, cleaning, and washing. They would also have to attend to the every whim of the sisters who enjoyed sitting around smoking and drinking. Which, I mean, for the time, 
Not surprised. Yeah. But still. So buckle up, people. This is where it gets horrible. Not that it wasn't already horrible, but new horrible. It's also reported that someone once told them that if they did satanic rituals, they could make more profit. So they would arrange candles in five-pointed star formations, sacrifice roosters and other animals, and had their employees, or I should say slaves, because that's what they were, they were slaves, bathe in the blood of the animals. Oh, so this is the sisters doing the satanic rituals. Yeah. I but thought they are. That- so the sisters are arra- arranging everything, but they're forcing the the girls that they kidnap and force into slavery to take part in the rituals. Oh, see, I thought I thought you meant that the girls, like the sisters, told the girls that they would make more money if they did satanic rituals. And I was no, like, someone told the sisters that huh. they would make more money if they did satanic rituals. So they did, and they had to in order because they're making money through prostitution. So in their minds, they had to use the the their their slaves essentially yeah yeah so the victims who were newest would be stripped naked and raped by the male employees of the sisters who would sit in the room watch and laugh i won't go into details here because i had a hard time reading this not only because i didn't understand all the vocabulary and didn't want to translate all the vocabulary to be quite honest but there were also acts of forced bestiality in these so-called rituals. Like, I just saw the word bestiality in Spanish, and I was like, nope, I am not translating No further. That. Nope. Yeah. Because there were some other words around it that I didn't understand, and I was like, say no more. I, nope. Mm. I learned, because all, so- all of my sources for this were in Spanish, I learned a lot of new words this week. <laughs> words that I didn't really need to know or want to. No, you could have gone your whole life without learning those words. Yep. I could have gone my whole Spanish-speaking life without ever needing to know them or use them, but here we go. They also found another little side business, which was selling the meat of the dead women by the kilo at the local markets. Absolutely not. I told you not to eat. I don't know what they they said it was. I have no idea what they said it was. But they sold it at the local markets by by the kilo. Mm. That's a lot. Yes. I c- never mind. Nope. Never mind. The downfall of the sisters came in 1964 when one of the captured girls named Catalina Ortega managed to escape and go to the authorities and tell them everything. She was so fucking lucky because the police officers that she told everything to were not the ones that were being paid off with the sexual favors. Oh my God. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I didn't even think about that either. She was lucky enough to go to police that actually wanted to help. Were there were there police like that were suspicious of what was going on? No idea. At the hill? Okay. Like I said, there are a lot of questions, a lot of really good questions with this case that we just don't have the answers to. So dozens of police went to the brothel where they arrested all four sisters and their employees, not the victims. Uh, The employees included the quote-unquote chauffeurs, Francisco Carmena Garcia and Enrique Rodriguez Ramirez. They also arrested Hermenegildo Zunija, 
who was a former army captain and worked at the brothel as a bodyguard and caretaker. And he had the nickname El Aguila Negra, which means the Black Eagle. You don't deserve that cool name, dude. Mm -mm. Yeah, I agree. There was also Jose Facio Santos, who watched and took care of the grounds, and Salvador Estrada Boca Negra, who was nicknamed El Verdugo, which means the executioner. Oh, God. No further comment. Inside the brothel, they found a bunch of young victims, I have no idea how many, who had been beaten, they had been tortured, they were sick, and they were malnourished. They were only being fed five hard tortillas and a plate of beans every day. To share? Like, to share or each? Each. And, I mean, to our U.S. American listeners, these are not like the big tortillas that you would see at fucking Chipotle. These are these are the the little ones, like the proper ones that you see when you see fancy pictures of tacos. Like, yeah, and they would they they would get five hard ones of those. And I don't even think like a tostada. I think it was just like they were stale, and they would have five Probably. of those and a plate yeah. of beans, and that would be their food for the day. So no wonder they were malnourished. Yeah, I mean beans are good, but they're not that good. In investigating the property, police discovered body after body. The exact number of victims that were killed at the hands of the sisters isn't known, but the minimum estimate is 90 and the maximum is 150. So were they, like, buried on the property? Mm-hmm. Remember, they, some of them were buried alive. Yeah, and then some of them were also sold at the market. Yeah, that's why we don't know what the exact number is. Like, I mean, they mostly, they found mostly bones, so I mean... I hate to think this way, but if they were chopping up these women, what do you do with the bones? Probably bury them, right? Mm, I suppose. I mean, that's the only explanation I could give to the... I mean, you asked. Or pull a Jeffrey Dahmer and just dissolve them in acid. I mean, this was 1960s Mexico. I don't know how... Yeah. I don't know that's if they just, had That's a... just the first thing that popped into my head. <laughs> Also, another serial killer. I just don't think they cared enough to be that thorough. Yeah, probably not. To be quite I honest. I mean, they lived, they lived on a huge ranch. It's not like they didn't have places to hide. Exactly. The, I, the I mean, I think they the thought, body. like, I think they thought, like, we'll never get caught. No one's ever going to be able to run away from us. We have too tight a system. They had plenty of people. Like, they, one of the guys that was arrested was someone who watched the grounds and someone was still able to escape. So I think they thought they had an impenetrable fortress. Um, and they had paid off police. They had a bunch of land. The sisters didn't do all of the killing themselves, obviously, since one of the people arrested was called the executioner. Um, I think most of the people that were arrested probably did. Uh, if, if they, even if they didn't kill people, they probably still had a hand in the torture and the beatings. Uh, the women that were prostitutes but stayed after to, quote, take care of the other victims... Um, I don't know if they did any of the killing themselves, but they were definitely a part of the abuse as well. So Delfina, Maria de Jesus, Carmen, and Luisa were all interrogated, tried, and charged with pimping, kidnapping, and homicide. Carmen died of cancer in her cell. I don't know what year. In 1968, Delfina died a painful death after a bricklayer dropped a bucket of mixture on her head. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Delfina was definitely the ringleader, 
So oh, well yeah. deserved. Luisa died in her cell in 1984 of liver cancer and Maria de Jesus was the only one to live out her sentence and was released from prison. She died in 1990. How long was and she that's in prison the case. for? The maximum sentence was 40 years. Oh, okay. But I don't think that math adds up because the they would have been tried in at least 1964, if not 1965. <clears throat> She but I mean, I guess early, she just, I guess. she probably got out early. She was the only one that was released. But they were all given 40 years, which was the maximum sentence for the crime, crimes. And yeah, this case is hugely well known in Mexico. It's one of the most, I mean, I feel like to them, this is like their Jeffrey Dahmer sort of case. Um, if you are a Mexican, please confirm. And it's, I'm looking it's at been pictures on Google right now. Of the women? Of yeah. the sisters? Yeah. The case has been adapted into multiple books and films and uh and it that's happened as recently as 2011 in a series called Mujeres Asesinas which means uh female assassins, women assassins, women murderers, female yeah. murderers. However you want to translate that up to you. I don't yeah. But this case is hugely known in Mexico and I'm really surprised I had never heard about it before. I've like never the, heard about it either. Yeah, me either. The English sources were really, they were few and far between, and the ones that I did find just didn't have very much information. All of the good stuff was, not good stuff, but all the stuff with actual, you know, meat uh, was all in Spanish. So introducing a, a new case to the English-speaking world, I suppose. Man, I tell you what, like, after this case, I'm just, like, about to donate so much money to organizations that help women and sex workers and because this mm -hmm. hurt this was bad i told you you didn't believe me yeah i bad. finished writing this script about half an hour before we came on to record and i i did two shots after writing it because <laughs> fuck i feel like yeah. having to translate everything from spanish made it even worse because i had to think about everything on yeah, a whole different level really hard yeah for sure and so I'm glad we talked about this case, and I'm also glad it's fucking over. Yes. Me too. So yeah, that was the case of Las Pocianchis. If you know why they're called that, please tell me. The only information I had was the the the, the guy who owned the building where they had uh, La Barca de Oro, their second, no, third brothel. Uh, he gave them that nickname, and it stuck. But I seriously don't know why or what it actually means or if it's like a play on words. I don't know. I couldn't figure it out. I'm, I have not reached that level of Spanish. Or uh, any in insider information on the case at all. Yeah. yeah we love, if we you love are, extra info. If you're a Mexican, please let us know if you have heard about this case. If we left anything out that's really important um, or just interesting, I, we would love to hear it. You can follow us on the social medias. It's at TrueCrimeINTL on Twitter and Instagram. And we also have a Facebook group. You can just type in True Crime International. It'll pop right up. Uh, and you can join that group and talk to us about all of these cases. We would love to hear your take on them, your theories. If you're from any of the countries that we've discussed, let us know what you thought about our interpretations of everything. Tell us about your culture. Send us pictures of your cats. Anything. All cats are welcome. <laughs> All cats are welcome here. We love cats. We really do. 
Uh, we also just launched our Patreon. So if you want to support the show, uh, there's nothing much on there yet. We just have one level, $5 a month. Uh, and if you become a patron, we will be doing shout outs. We'll have probably like one extra episode a month. We'll have extra blips like after after episodes. Like I think we're going to do an extra on the Japan episode because Isabella still has more theories and... I mean, I want to hear them, so I, have I figure theories. you guys do too. <laughs> so yeah, if you would like to support the show, that would be really nice. Um, as we build our Patreon, we will add more levels down the road, but because we are brand new, just one level, $5 a month, uh, and eventually that will grow and we will be able to offer more things. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening, for getting through this. Yep. This has been another episode of True Crime International, and we hope you've enjoyed your stay. 